Howdy, Paul. How are you? Doing great. How are you? I'm good. I saw a post on uh, social media the other day. You're like uh, 130 days away from being married. Yeah. Well, it, it was less than 130 days. Not quite sure why she didn't just put the actual number, because <laughs> now I don't know what the actual number is. <laughs> but it's coming up, nonetheless. Yeah. It's coming up. How exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah, we went to the wedding of one of my close friends this past weekend, and then an my other close friend is getting married afterwards, so wedding season's definitely a thing. I didn't I didn't think it was until and I now, became a part of it. Yeah, now you're a part of it. Yes, now I'm a part of society things. Well You know, I love that. It'll be here before you know it. I'm sure there's a part of it that there's no need to rush, but it's exciting. It is, yeah. Heck, if it was up to me. We'd already be married now, and it would have been much cheaper. <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot. You, me, and her would have gone down to the courthouse, and we would have gotten this thing done. You wouldn't even have needed me. You could have just let no, the you'd have to be judge there. stand in there. No, that's the only part that I actually care about is the before God part. That okay. For the government's much, that can wait. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, um, today... We're going to talk about something that you've talked about quite a bit. You did a series on it, uh, or at least around this idea, I think, I don't know, a year or two ago. Um, but you kind of explained how you went, I don't and I'll let you talk about it. But the topic is um, this idea that our, our entire lives are made up or determined by two different things, time and energy. So says Paul. And so what, I guess... Uh, got you thinking about that, and why'd you land there? Yeah, so kind of the backdrop to all that, I I had just had my 50th birthday. So this was 10 years ago. Mm, over the hill. Yeah, I'm about to turn 60, which, I don't know, it's, it's bugging me a little bit more than 50 and 40. But um, You ran an Ironman like a year ago, yeah. and I would die on the swim. I would <laughs> drown within the first two miles. Yes, so... I had just had my 50th birthday. I can't remember. It was a couple of days after my birthday. I was laying in bed one morning, and I was hatching, meaning I was awake, but my eyes had still been closed. I was just sort of preparing myself for what was ahead of the day and for the day. And I was laying there thinking, that's what I do. I'm a thinker, and my brain never stops, so I, who knows what I was thinking about. And all of a sudden, this thought just penetrated all the other thoughts, and it literally jolted me awake. I mean, I remember, like, sitting up suddenly in bed on my elbows going, oh, my word. And the thought was, I now have less life ahead of me than I have behind me. Mm. So at 50, I realized the chances of me living another 50 years statistically are small. Yep. And so... There was a sense of, it wasn't panic, it was a sense of urgency, like, wow, um, I'm running out of time. And that just started this whole journey of thinking. And I can honestly say for the next two years, I spent a lot of time reflecting on this idea that I was running out of time. And so that, that sent me on this journey that I call, you know, trying to figure out life and living. Like, what is this thing called life? And what is the 
the experience of living the life that we have. And I spent better part of two more years reading, researching, talking to people, asking questions, making observations, jotting down theories. And um, so I was really, really intrigued with what is this experience of life and how we all go about it. And in the end, I identified several components that I think are critical and common to the experience of living, that no matter if you're talking about an American or an Asian, or if you're talking about white or black, if you're talking about rich or poor, male or female, educated, uneducated, didn't, doesn't matter anything about demographics, what were the common components that every single human being um, encounters in the, the pursuit of living their life? And so I jotted down what I kind of discerned as kind of a teachable point of view on it all. And so just to narrow the, the conversation, I felt like if you're going to live your life intentionally, like create the life that you imagine and not just the life that's handed to you, um, if you're going to create the life that you imagine for yourself, it would be comparable to creating a blueprint. You have to have some kind of a blueprint to build a house. Mm. You can't just you know, make stuff up as you go along. Uh, so you have to get some kind of an idea of what is it that you want your life to be about? What is it that um, is important to you? What is it that you want your life to say? Uh, what do you want to accomplish? And for me, being kind of the insatiable curiosity, uh, curious type, um, I, I could chase after everything and anything because everything fascinates me. Yeah. So, you know, when you draw a blueprint, you basically have to make some decisions about what goes and what stays. And so, you know, I, I remember thinking, I can't do everything, but I can do some things. Yeah. So then I had to decide what I had to decide what were my some things. And I settled on five unique expressions that I wanted to pursue in this kind of second half of my life. That became my blueprint. And so then the next the next reality was if I was going to build this thing that I imagined in my head, ultimately what I would get built would be a reflection of these two things, time and energy. I'd have to put time toward them, and I'd have to put energy toward them. Because if I didn't put time or if I didn't put energy toward them, then they would just be wishful thinking. It would just be fantasy, these things I had in my head, but that would never come to fruition in any kind of a real or vivid way. So then I started exploring this whole idea of, man, Everything, every single thing in our life, I say, from the mundane to, um, you know, the magnificent, everything is a distribution of time and energy. There, there's no exceptions to the rule. There's no exceptions to the rule for you or for me or for somebody that lives in Sri Lanka. Um, there's no exceptions to the rule for male or female, rich or poor. Every single thing that we do in life exacts some quantity of time 
and some quantity of energy. And so then what that meant to me was my life is the t- sum total of how I distribute time and energy. Mm. And, and it just, what it did for me is it just raised the importance of being very conscientious to how I utilize time and how I distribute energy. So that, that's kind of where it all came from. Yeah. And the more I sat in it, the more I realized, man, yeah, this, this is everywhere. This is everything about life is ultimately about how somebody distributes time and energy. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of it's some quote. I'm going to get it so wrong. I don't even know who it's by. I know Peterson said it, but he says everything by everyone. Uh, something like, if you don't know, if you don't know, if you aren't writing your story, somebody else might be. Yeah, exactly. And that's what living life, just whatever comes at you, is like. Right? Yeah, so what I, I use the terms of, you can either live by a blueprint that you created, or you can live by the script that's handed to you. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, from the time that we're born, we are subject to everybody else's script for us. That could be our parents, teachers, coaches, friends. That could be um, kind of the, the culture that you live in. Certainly, the American dream is a bit of a script that people, you know, foolishly pursue, thinking, well, that's the end-all, be-all. Yep. And so we end up, I mean, just you can just watch the script unfold. It's, you know, you go to school, you graduate from high school, you either go to college, you go into the military, or you go into the work marketplace. Um, after you finish college, you either go get a master's degree or you now start working. And then, you know, this work thing consumes 30, 40 years of your life. The whole time you're building this kind of financial nest egg. Somewhere along the line, you get married, you have kids, you buy a house, and then you retire, and then you go on cruises and you play golf and you visit your grandkids. That's the script. Then you die. And then you die. And I was very intrigued with this idea that I don't have to live by the script that's handed to me. I could actually, I, again, I, I think God grants us sort of the, the power or the, certainly the power of choice that it's possible that we can write our own story. We mm. can determine what our priorities, values, and ambitions are going to be and then we can pursue them. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you won't have some of those similar experiences of the script, but you don't have to live by the script. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my fiance have actually had a lot of conversations about things like this, as I think it's probably wise to do before uh, <laughs> yeah. marriage. It's like, well, what script are we going to hold ourselves to? What no, blueprint? It's a great exercise. Yeah. And so, and a lot of those kind of conversations come in because, well, me just being the anti whatever everybody else is doing person, <laughs> it's like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to just go to work for forty years every single day, come home, eat dinner, watch some TV, go to sleep. Now, that sounds horrible, and it's like our lives are just going to turn into that. And so we've had to talk about that, and 
I mean, it was hard. It was, they, they were hard conversations, but then we even got into like, okay, well, what's going to, what's going to be our filter for how, for what we want to choose uh, for our, mm-hmm. for each of us to be and for our lives to be. And so I guess as you were kind of going through that process, uh, what did you use to filter down to a handful of things? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, my filters were things like, okay, what's what's my responsibility in relationship to God? Uh, so we could talk about what is his calling in my life? What is his design for my life as a man, as a human being? Um, I took into account uh, personality, like who am I, not who other people want me to be, but who am I really? Yeah. So personality, um, I looked at things like talents and, and gifts, like what are my natural strengths and abilities that rather than trying to create a life that's kind of antithetical to who I am naturally, build on who God created you to be. Um, so natural abilities and skills, uh, experiences of life, things that have shaped me through the years and had an impact on me, um, what influence did they have on helping me decide what my future looked like. For instance, I, I've benefited throughout my entire life of other people having sort of a, a coaching influence on me, um, mentoring, um, discipleship, whatever word you want to call it. I've, I've just had some very fortunate experiences of people investing time in me. And so one of the things that I identified as how to spend the rest of my life is I wanted to play the role of, of coach. I, I wanted to offer input into other people's lives and, and sort of um, select a few people that I could make an investment in so that at the end of my life, I could look back and go, hey, here's three, four, five people that I know I had a positive influence in their life and um, sort of celebrate having paid it forward. That's that's how I defined it is yeah. pay it forward what's been entrusted to you. So yeah. th- those are a couple of the criteria that I used. I, I didn't want to. I had no fascination with reinventing myself in the sense of becoming something I wasn't. It was more about really seizing the potential or the ability that was in me and being a good steward of it. Mm. You mean you didn't go get Botox and everything <laughs> that no. day? Say, that, that, that's interesting because it's funny how you said that. Um, Sorry for those of you who are over 50 and have gotten <laughs> Botox. We can tell. See, this for me was not a midlife crisis, which I'm actually, um, I, I find value in the crisis of midlife. Now, there's two different ways to have a midlife crisis. One is a foolish way. Mm. You can be very selfish and uh, destructive in how you go about it. Then there's a very constructive sense of coming to a point of crisis in your life saying, hey, I don't. I don't like where I am. I would like to be and to do something else. And so I'm going to take the corrective action Mm. and, you know, go about my life differently because either I'm disappointed or bored or, or I'm not energized by what I see. 
So for me, it wasn't a midlife crisis like, oh, I don't like my life. I'm going to just blow it all up and become something. The person who who takes the foolish approach to a midlife crisis, the typical, and this is where the stereotypical yeah. midlife crisis thing comes from, is they it's a 45-year-old man who suddenly tries to be 22 again. Oh, gosh. And he starts to dress the part and, you know, act the part and try to, you know, be something that he's no longer. I, I had no interest in that. Yeah. What I was interested in is was taking the first 50 years of my life and the things that I had learned and looking at some of the things that I was not necessarily pleased with where I was at the moment and saying, okay, how can I be more intentional in leveraging the experience and the wisdom and the maturity of my first 50 years and do something different with whatever time I had left. Was, and we've talked about things similar, but like assessing where you're at, people don't really like to do and for good reason. And so whenever you did that, was it a, obviously you benefited from it in the long term, but was it uh, hard to do? Was it even kind of, depressing whenever you looked where you were at uh, all yeah I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not, like we promised we'd be honest on this podcast so yeah there were there was a sense to which i was a little disappointed like i'm 50 and i'm not where i wanted to be i hadn't accomplished some of the things that i had always had ambitions to um yeah so i woke up at 15 realized hey this this isn't where I thought I would be. Yeah. But here's the deal. And I think this kind of separates men from the boys is a lot of people will wake up and say, I'm not where I want to be. And they'll blame a lot of other people and things rather than accept responsibility and accountability for their part and not being where they wanted to be. Yeah. So what happened for me is in this two year three-year journey of evaluation. This is just one of the dimensions of it. Part of my evaluation was coming to be honest about the fact that as a 50-year-old man, I had some insecurities that had crippled me. They were, they were limiting my life. And, you know, it's, it's a conversation. We talk about insecurities, and it makes sense in the terms of like a junior high, senior high kid. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense when you're talking about a 50-year-old male or female. Like, how could you be so insecure at this age? And I'm like, oh, my word. There's so many really insecure people. And I was one of them. I had these insecurities. And so now... In my journey, I, I had to do some work on what are insecurities and what are dysfunctional behaviors and how do they shape our life. And I was the last person to want to admit that I had, I had a certain number of fears. Mm. I had a fear of failure. I had a fear of what people thought of me. And I had a fear of not being perfect at something the first time I did it. Mm. So... Because I wasn't going to be an expert at it, I wouldn't even do it. Or if I thought for a moment that I would fail in doing it, I was too worried about people seeing me as a failure that I wouldn't even give it a try. So here I am, 50 years old, and waking up to this and coming to the grips with the fact that where I was wasn't anybody else's fault but my own. 
Yeah. And so then one of my big determinations was live life with less fear. Mm. And all of it's, you know, interesting nuances as it played out in my life. Yeah. Um, And so that's, that's where I started doing some work of saying, okay, how does fear play out in my life? What's the thinking behind all of that? And then how does it show its ugly face? And then confronting it in the in you know real life real time moments, going okay, Paul, what you're doing right now is is an expression of fear. So stop. Uh, the whole Iron Man journey, there was a sense of the fear of failure, like I, I could never do that. And there were literally hundreds, maybe thousands of moments over those next seven years that it took me to prepare of letting my fears talk me out of the hard work of what it was requiring of me to do. Yeah. And I think about my very first, very first triathlon, having never done anything like this, the amount of fear that gripped me just making my way down to the event. Like all these other people are going to know that this is my first one and I'm a poser and I've never done this before. And, you're wearing, you know, spandex. There's not a lot of secrets. It's just like, <laughs> it's going to be really noticeable. I'm like 40 pounds overweight. And and all that fear was literally trying to talk me out of even going to the starting line. Yeah. But I because I knew what was talking to me and what I determined to overcome, I was like, oh, nope, we're going to do this day. We're going to do this race. And if for no other reason is you're going to make one step past your fear. So, yeah, th- there were moments certainly in the last seven years that they were hard to wake up to the truth about myself. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the way you kind of distinguish between the two is like people who have a good midlife crisis and a bad mi- midlife crisis. The good midlife crisis is just assessing where you're at and figuring out if you want to keep doing what you're doing going forward. And it's like, um, I know, I, but I think that's why people always, I think that's why Peterson is as popular as he's become Jordan Peterson. Why I like him so much is because he, he asked the question, he's like, Hey, do you like who you are? Yeah. And if not like, well, why, what stupid things are you doing that you could stop? Sure. Um, sure. but, but that does come down to like, <laughs> I know in, the a very small version of this, if we pull this down, is assessing how much time you spend on your phone, I guess, getting into, like, just looking at your life. I don't know if you've ever done this, but, like, I've opened up my phone and looked at how much time I spent on it. I'm like, good God. That day was just gone. Yeah. I don't even remember it. And 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 so looking at that stuff can be very fr- frightening, I suppose. But so so I guess now that we're kind of into time, you got down to time and energy. Um, what, what did it, how did it, I guess, help you to know and, and why did it help you to break it down to just time and and energy? What did that do for you in assessing your life, I guess? Well, I guess one way I'd answer that is because I had a blueprint of the house I was trying to build Mm. or the life I was trying to build. Um, I immediately had some sort of a, um, of way of evaluating 
if something was worth my time and energy. Because why spend time and energy on something that wouldn't get me any closer to what I was trying to build? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, one of the perspectives that I, um, that I took, it isn't original to me, one of my favorite books that I read when I was in college, and it marked my life, it's still one of my favorite books, is uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Highly Effective People. Yeah. Um, by Stephen Covey. And one of his habits is begin with the end in mind, which is essentially the expression of the blueprint. Yeah. But if I recall, one of his exercises is to stop and imagine your own funeral and what would be written on your gravestone. Mm. Like think about having died. What did, what did you accomplish in your life? And so what I realized is that nobody at my funeral service is going to say anything about what I didn't spend time and energy on. So how that kind of played out in my head Let's let's say there's a guy, he's an engineer, and that's what he does. And he's he's a good engineer and he's very, you know, loyal and dependable for his company and I, I don't want to say he's a workaholic, but he, he, he puts the the work in. But let's say that when he comes home you know, he plays by the script and he comes home, he's tired, so he's gonna eat dinner and then he sits down and he watches television for two hours three hours, he gets up, he goes to bed, starts over the next day, goes to work, comes home, eats dinner. Well, if this is about the only thing that he does in life, when you get to his funeral, that's the story people will tell. Oh, he was a great engineer, yeah. and he really loved his TV shows. But they're not going to talk about, oh, man, he, he was a wonderful guitar player. Because he, he never put any time and energy to playing the guitar. Or they're, gonna, they're never going to say, oh, he, he was such a great... Um, cook because he didn't really put time and energy toward that. So they can't tell stories, if they're going to be honest, they can't tell stories about things that he didn't put time and energy toward. They're just going to say, hey, this is his story. He was an engineer and he, he loved his television shows. No, but they might mention, well, he was a great engineer, but he's a really crappy dad. <laughs> Seriously, they, though, you yeah. Yeah, but they're not going to say that at the funeral. No. Everybody would they know would that. They would whisper it into the side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, because he didn't put time and energy to it, yeah. right? Well, so in my thinking, like beginning with the end in mind and imagining my funeral, I was like, here's some things I would like people to be able to say honestly. And so I chose some character traits and I chose some ambitions that I was going to put time and energy toward so that they could talk about my life having been lived a certain way. Um, these things that you're kind of talking about, are they with the assumption of, like, you, well, you, you mentioned God, but are they, are they with the assumption of husband and father? Yes. Okay. Those are, those are the kind of fixtures in my whole paradigm of my yeah. life. Like, I want to be, be a great husband and I want to be a great dad. Yeah. And then the other five things were in in addition to that, gotcha. if you will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, going back to your original question, yeah, I was, I had to think very intentionally about the story I wanted to write, and that's where time and energy comes from, is that story will only be written 
about the things that you put time and energy in. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's going to tell the story of me flying airplanes. I don't put any time and energy toward that. Um, nobody's going to tell a story about, you know, me owning a restaurant. It's not, it's, not, it's not where I put time and energy. Yeah. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, and I, the every single time you like we're talking about this, it just reminds me of like this, the idea of sacrifice. Cause yes, um, we have to choose, but oftentimes I don't think that we think about the fact that well, whenever we choose one thing, that means we're sacrificing literally everything else that we could be doing. Um, and that's kind of a, it always reminds me of Abraham and Isaac, as wild of a story as that is. And I'm no theologian, so it could not be the main idea from that. But, you know, God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. He then stops him. Yeah. It's crazy, but it's like, well, hey, are you willing to sacrifice that which you love most for me? And I guess um, in this, it's like, well, you need to figure out Maybe what are you, what are you willing to not sacrifice? Uh, that's going to take up all of that time and energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stephen Covey says it's easier to say yes when you. It's easier to say no when you have a burning yes within. Yeah. And that that quote marked my life when I read it. It's easier to say no when you have a burning yes within. So basically, when you when you create the blueprint of your life, you're determining what your yeses are. Yeah. And then suddenly it's easier to say no to a host of other things. Because that, you know, when you're handed the script rather than living by a blueprint, people will just continue to shove expectations and agenda onto your plate. And if you don't have a strong definition of yes, then you you end up taking on everything everybody else has giving you and, and what i find is that the person who isn't capable of saying no and they say yes to everything then what happens is that creates stress that ends up resulting in you know being very busy that ends up creating you know in a sense of the long term a sense of resentment like i have to do all these things yeah. and i don't really want to but i said yes to them and i you know people are expecting me and I just don't think that's the way to live. Mm -mm. I, that, maybe I should say it. That's not how I wanted to live. And so, yes, I say I have to say no to some things because they're not in keeping with the blueprint that I'm working against. And yeah. I had I had to let go of some of the guilt and the shame about not being able to accommodate everybody's wishes for me. Because in the end, it's not their life that I'm living one that I've chosen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear a lot from, I guess, friends. They're always saying, oh, man, this person asked me to do this. They only need to go do this and this. And there's like, what do I say? I'm like, well, do you want to go? But people have a really hard time saying no, not wanting to offend people or, yeah, you know, not wanting to miss out on things maybe. Um, granted, then they come complain to me about it. <laughs> so I'm just like, well, how am I at the losing end of this? But... Um, people, yeah, the idea of sacrificing things, and that's that's where you get into the whole living somebody else's story is whenever you can't say no. But, um, so I guess coming into this spiritually and kind of getting down more nitty gritty, um, I think people kind of often get the idea, or maybe they would assume that you would 
maybe you would say, or that at least God would want them to essentially be, if they're a Christian, that, well, God doesn't, God wants you to be doing uh, prayer and Bible study the same amount of time that you're at work for eight hours a day, or um, going on a, on a mission trip, or serving people, or doing all of these things that are just very impractical for day-to-day, I suppose, like mm-hmm. uh, prolonged periods of time. So I guess, how do you view what God has to say about time and energy and, and the things that you choose to pour yourself into in your life. Yeah, so in my mind, that's the discussion of stewardship. Um, being a good steward of the life that God has entrusted to my care. So I actually don't think that God's most honored by all of our time spent reading the Bible and praying. Mm. I think God's most honored by me loving my neighbor Mm -hmm. and the neighbor could be, you know, my wife, my kids, my friends, as well as, you know, the people who interact with my world. So he's most honored by that. The Bible study and the prayer is just my way of, or maybe his way of equipping me to love my neighbor. So then when we come down like to the very unique expressions of our life, I've been given some stewardships that you haven't. Or the way that I handle the stewardships given to me may be different than the stewardships he's given to you. Mm. So um, then really what I'm trying to do is I'm hopefully building my blueprint around what I believe God would be honored with how I stewarded the opportunities that he presented to me. By stewardship, do you mean like responsibilities? Yeah, it's taking care of what's been entrusted to your care. So, I, and here's here's some of the the stewardships. Um, your body is a stewardship, like your physical body. Taking care of it, it is a stewardship. Um, your spiritual gifts, they're they're stewardships. God's given you these gifts. He's given me these gifts. I'm supposed to take care of them, use them in the way that he intended. Um, my marriage is a stewardship. My my children are a stewardship. Um, my role as the pastor of this church is a stewardship. Um, the gospel or the, you know, the truth, the message of Jesus is a stewardship that's been entrusted not only to my care but to the care of all Christians. So then I have to think in those categories is, am I being a good steward in my life when it comes to my gifts, my responsibilities at work, my marriage, my sons, uh, my body? And, you know, the, the, the challenge then becomes being uh, wise and living in a balance of handling all those stewardships. Mm-hmm. Now, the person who's very intentional about their life, I think I could say it this way, the person who's very intentional about uh, managing the stewardships of their life, they're probably intentional about limiting the numbers of things that they become stewards of so that they can be really good stewards of the things that they have in, in their care. Mm-hmm. When we start living by the script and we don't have a strong yes, then we end up taking on all sorts of other responsibilities, which exact what? 
time and energy, which is a limited resource. And so now what happens is we're so busy chasing after all of these things and we see them as responsibilities or expectations on our life, but we don't have the time and energy to distribute to them in the way that they deserve. And so we just become a poor steward because yes, I'm giving 50 hours to a week at my job, but I'm being a lousy dad because mm. I just don't have the bandwidth of time and energy to distribute accordingly. And so that's why in, in my, in my mind, again, maybe this isn't a script for everybody, but in my mind, I'd rather be a really good steward of a few things than a bad steward of many things. Mm-hmm. So I limit the things that I say yes to in the hopes of preserving the time and energy that I need to distribute to the few things that I feel responsible. That does it for this episode. Come back next week for part two. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.